Welcome, welcome, welcome to another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Farrell, and I'm joined here today by not one, but two of our executive team members, Nick Godowski and Emma Catlett. How are you guys doing today? Doing well, Garrett. How are you? I'm good. <laughs> and uh, we are also joined by Professor Sayre today to talk about the Zambia program um, that will be going on this June. So uh, thank you for joining us today, Professor Sayre. Glad to be here. Yeah, thank you. And, and, and Nick will be uh, one of those students uh, going going with us this summer. So Yeah, so that'll be great. I'm sure he'll come back with plenty of stories and uh, some interesting information and maybe even or get him. generate stories. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, um, with that, I guess we can kind of start uh, talking about how this program developed and uh, why, why Zambia. Well, uh, it, it developed in, in about 2015-2016. Um, actually, uh, Pepperdine Law School runs a very successful uh, program in Uganda and Rwanda. They take 20 to 24 students uh, every summer. Um, Professor Jim Gash, who's, who's now the president of uh, Pepperdine, uh, he was the law prof that started their program, and he actually invited me to come see what they were doing. Um, the president of Baylor at the time was Ken Starr, who had been the dean of Pepperdine Law School, so Professor Gash and uh, uh, President Starr uh, were, were close. They were good friends. So uh, the president of Baylor University basically uh, suggested to Jim Gash that uh, he might want to um, um, sit down with some persons from Baylor Law School to discuss uh, his, his project in, uh, uh, in Uganda. And I didn't know this at the time, but Sarah Larios, who's the American lawyer that started Up Zambia, that our internship is with, Sarah had uh, called Professor Gash, and in 2015, she went uh, along on part of the Uganda trip with, uh, with Pepperdine. Um, she was just getting into uh, the Up Zambia part of her career. She, uh, it was a new organization. It was just getting off the ground and she thought maybe she could get some insights. So she contacted Professor Gash. She went um, uh, during part of that program over there, got to know Professor Gash well, and um, she was intending to invite Pepperdine, right? You do this in Uganda, do you have students that would be interested in helping me uh, in Zambia? Professor Gash told her, you know, we're kind of booked with uh, Uganda and Rwanda, um, but let me check around, and he eventually had the idea, what about Baylor? Um, and so um, uh, he called uh, Ken Starr, again, then president of Baylor. Starr probably talked to Tobin, uh, and I know uh, uh, he passed away, unfortunately, but I, I knew President Starr pretty well too. But basically, I guess Tobin thought uh, if anybody would uh, on our faculty would want to be involved in this and travel to Africa every summer, it would be uh, it would be Sarah. So, um, so in any event, I met with uh, Professor Gash. Uh, I think it was February of 2016, and he invited me to come along uh, on their uh, program that that June. And I thought, you know, that's pretty short. Uh, I've pretty much already got my summer planned up. And so I basically said, maybe the following year, right? Uh, and I just, it's, it kept eating at me that uh, I, I had been looking for some other things to sort of expand into and some other 
uh, things to do. And uh, I love international travel. Obviously, I attach a high value to uh, what lawyers and law students can do in terms of promoting justice. And I just thought um, maybe this is one of those doors that's opening that I'm supposed to go through. And it's not one of those things I should say, all right, I'll put it off until I've got more time. So I called him back in uh, April and I said, is there still time for me to go? Uh, so I went, I was very impressed with uh, Pepperdine's program and uh, um, decided I wanted something like that for Baylor Law students. And, um, uh, and at, the end of the at the end of my time over there, uh, Professor Gash told me about Sarah and that Sarah was looking for help in Zambia. So I came, uh, I, I came back to uh, the state, sort of charged up, uh, ready to pursue an idea. And I actually didn't call Sarah right away um, because I actually, my contracts professor uh, from law school, uh, after he retired from like 45 years of uh, being a contracts professor, he had longtime political connections, his family did in Malawi. And his brother, uh, had become the elected president of Malawi, which is right next to Zambia. And um, uh, his brother died in office and uh, the party got to choose the replacement. It's not like just a vice president jumps up there. So my former contracts professor, who I knew pretty well, used to shoot baskets with and stuff <laughs> in the gym, play basketball with, um, he was the president of Malawi. Wow. And so I thought, all right, that's, uh, you know, <laughs> Heck with Zambia, I need to check this out first. And so um, I pursued that and just had a hard time getting a hold of him, right? I mean, he's, I went through my old law school, I just had a hard time uh, getting through all the bureaucracy to get in touch with him. And uh, pretty soon it's January and I thought, you know, I need to just, Gash called me and had I contacted Sarah Larios yet? And I hadn't, and I explained, apologized, and explained why. And so that just prompted me then to get in contact with uh, Sarah, and I had a lengthy conversation with her and started planning a visit for uh, uh, the summer of 2017. And uh, uh, I asked Dean Tobin if we had any alums that he thought might be interested in supporting the program, and he knew I, I meant alums that might be willing to write some checks uh, to support the program. And so uh, actually a former student of mine, and he was on my moot court team, uh, Anthony Brewster, very successful uh, plaintiff's attorney, uh, who had done some mission work in Zambia with church groups and things. Um, that's who Dean Tobin recommended. And um, Anthony, I've stayed close to Anthony since uh, law school. So I called him and he was in. And, so the two of us went over to uh, Lusaka um, early that summer, um, 2017, and saw what Sarah was doing over there. We were impressed. It was still a very small operation then, but uh, you know we were impressed and uh, you know spent that trip sort of planning how how do we make this work, right? How do we make this work, and what what shape should the should the program take? So. And of course, it's only been five years or so, but it seems like the program is a pretty big deal here at Baylor now. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, the, we uh, summer of 2018 is the first time we had students go over there. We've had from 10 to 12 students. Uh, it's kind of capped at 12. Mm -hmm. um, we, we send up to six at a time. 
And, um, you know, when we started it, um, Sarah had, it was still pretty small and we didn't think they could handle more than six at a time. And still they're so busy and it's, you know, kind of chaotic, um, uh, uh, you know, what they do. And so, um, you know, we had to be considerate of their needs and their important work and their need to manage, uh, you know, our students over there. And again, I've gotten nothing but uh, compliments about all the contributions our students have made over there. Uh, our students have all been uniformly, uh, not only impressed with uh, Up Zambia and Sarah, uh, and Sarah's uh, uh, Zambian personnel, uh, but uh, um, you know, it's come back more or less acknowledging that was kind of a life-changing experience. So, um, um, it's 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 been popular you know unfortunately we were just getting rolling the first two years and you know people were coming back and talking up the program and then that was generating a lot of interest and then COVID happened so we had to I had 12 students ready to go in 2020 and we were the last summer program that canceled I mean Baylor uh, canceled was canceling all of its summer international programs we were the last one <laughs> hanging on, largely because I didn't take no for an answer. <laughs> and uh, finally, there were just there were just too many. The odds were just too stacked uh, against us, and so we had to pull the plug in 2020. Same thing happened in 2021. We were the last international program to kind of give up, and so two groups of students I felt that were very enthusiastically looking forward to going. And felt really bad that we couldn't couldn't make it happen because of COVID. So we restarted it uh, last summer, 2022. So even though it's been five years, we've only gone three times, and it was like a new beginning last year because Up Zambia had uh, changed quite a bit in those three years from the summer of 2019 until the summer of 22. So they'd grown a lot larger and were involved in more things, and so. You know, it wasn't exactly like starting from scratch, but you know, it wasn't just like rolling over to the next year. Like, I mean, we were in we were in a zone. <laughs> we were in a, we were in a zone uh, when COVID happened, and uh, so we're trying to establish, we're trying to reestablish that now. So this will be the fourth trip this summer. Very cool. So, for any prospective students that might be thinking about going, um, can you talk a little bit about what Lusaka is like? Um, there, there might be some adverse ideas about Africa, and uh, you know, some people deciding whether or not to go to Scotland or Zambia. Um, obviously, those are two very, very different mm -hmm. places. So, uh, you, you can go to both. I mean, you can go to both Zambia and uh, uh, St Andrews. Uh, I, I highly recommend both. I mean, I participate in the St Andrews program too. That's that's great, also. Um, yeah, they are different trips. I mean, Scotland is, is Europe, it's Great Britain, and uh, uh, it's a very comfortable place to be. Um, I, I think it's stimulating maybe in a different way, but, but, uh, <laughs> um, uh, but it's not as stimulating as you know, being in Africa. Um, Lusaka, like most of Sub-Saharan Africa, Zambia, like most of Sub-Saharan uh, Sub Africa, um, there's a big gap between those who have and those who don't. I mean, there's grinding poverty throughout Sub-Saharan Africa. And the same is true in Zambia and in Lusaka. Um, 
you know, I, I, I don't know if you would refer to the 1% in Zambia. It's more like maybe the 4%, the 5%, but there, there are a lot of Zambians that are growing up uh, in a way that is not much different than my middle-class upbringing. You got two educated parents, employed parents, you're going to decent schools, you live in a nice residential part of town. Um, it's just that um, poverty means something different there than it means here. And there are so many, there's, there's so much a greater percentage of, of persons. And, you know, in the Lusaka area, and, and we, we get an opportunity to go out to, they call them, you know, compounds. And that's where most uh, of Lusaka, uh, 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 most of the Zambians in the Lusaka area live in these compounds. And, um, you know, staggering, you know, just, you know, overwhelming. And uh, I, I, I remember that, uh, you know, a Professor Counselor's been over there um, with us. And um, the first time Professor Counselor and I uh, it was before we had students over there. Um, like the first summer, uh, 2018, we sent students. In the spring, Dean Tobin and I and Professor Counselor went over again to get some things done related to uh, that first summer. Um, and uh, I remember when uh, Counselor and I, the first time, went through uh, one of these compounds. And I don't know if it was he said to me or I said to him, you know, had you been born there, could you could you have made it out? Could, could you envision a life for yourself like you've like you've lived? Could you have made it out? You know, and, and both of us were, you know, we don't we're not lacking in self confidence either one of us, and uh, uh, and neither one of us could confidently say, yeah, yeah, we've got the talent, we've got the wherewithal, we would have we would have made it out of there. We both were persuaded to the contrary. Um, so that's that's pretty overwhelming. And of course, most of the clients of Up Zambia uh, come from those compounds. Or, I mean, some of the kids that get in trouble are literally, literally homeless. Um, Lusaka has a large, um, you know, street children uh, population. Um, uh, Zambia was hit hard um, about a generation ago by AIDS, and there were a lot of parents who both died and leaving kids already in poverty. And now, you know, what happens to the children? Do they live with aunt and uncle for a while or do they go over here and live with friends in the compound for a while? And so uh, I, I don't think the problem's as great as it was a generation ago, but there's still a, a population of uh, homeless or, or, or street kids, kids that prefer to live on the street rather than um, live with their parents. So, um, and, and, and um, uh, you know, those who work for the, the uh, Zambians who work for Up Zambia, um, a, a few that aren't lawyers, they're licensed. Um, many others that are law students at some point of the process, but not yet licensed. Uh, and then some other volunteers that are, you know, not on the law student lawyer track. And uh, while um, a good percentage of those had the advantages of being in the Zambian upper class, which again, I would say is kind of more like our middle class or upper middle class, whatever. Um, there, are, um, there are those working for um, up Zambia who are on the law student law school track who grew up in the compounds. And uh, that's impressive. I mean, I, 
Um, I was riding when we came back. Uh, uh, we, we take a trip out to uh, um, uh, Victoria Falls and that area um, every summer. And uh, uh, coming back to Lusaka, uh, I was in a vehicle that got back to Lusaka ahead of the bus. And so we gave uh, a couple of the uh, Zambians, uh, again, on the on the loiter track, we gave uh, some of them a ride home, and they're directing us through the compounds, and it was, again, staggering. And to, to think, oh, hey, uh, this guy, this is the home he grew up in, this is where he grew up, and somehow, you know, he has uh, overcome all the challenges, gotten educated, or to a, a, a pretty impressive place in education, and he's on the track to being a lawyer. And, and you just think uh, also that I, I bet this person also has the values necessary to dedicate himself to a service-oriented profession and to the service of uh, whatever clients he's gonna see, particularly uh, those that uh, up Zambia sees. Um, switching gears a little bit, what, what are some of the more technical um, aspects as far as where, where we fly into, like where we go? Um, and uh, sort of the process of applying also. So, so um, yeah, I mean, the process for applying, I mean, I mean Sarah, Sarah has visited every every year in the fall, and so that's how we usually kick off uh, recruiting or getting people uh, the information. And, um, uh, you know, everybody who has wanted to do it and committed to doing it, uh, to my knowledge and memory has, has gotten to do it. I mean, if we've had some persons that have dropped out for reasons, it's been uh, their, it's been their choice. You know, something has, has uh, uh, arisen, uh, again, except for the whole COVID thing, right? Uh, uh, those 20 to 24 students were involuntarily <laughs> removed from the program because the whole program canceled. But um, uh, so, uh, um, you know, we, we conduct interviews. Uh, and it's not like competitive inter interviews. It's it's more like uh, an interview just to ensure and to be able to tell Sarah that this is somebody we can send to Africa for 30 days. That there are going to be challenges living in Africa for 30 days. This is this is someone who uh, you know is not going to be a problem, right? Or, or they're not going to turn into a basket case or something like that. They're they're going to. Uh, uh, be able to handle the challenges that arise. And, and now, our, our, you know, we fly over through Dubai. We fly on Emirates Airlines, which is one of the nicest airlines in the world. And uh, we have a day layover, 20 to 24 hour layover in Dubai on the way over and on the way back. So we get two days in Dubai. The hotel room in Dubai is included as part of our airfare, part of our ticket. And so, uh, yeah, we get good rest in Dubai, but we also have a sufficient uh, amount of time to explore Dubai, which is a really cool place. And actually, it's not cool at all. It's hot. It's, it's, it's maybe the hottest place I've ever been. But in every other way, it's a really cool place. So, um, um, and, and uh, on the way over, uh, we actually get a full night's sleep. Um, and our plane leaves at like nine the next morning. And so when we arrive in Africa, we're not all jet lagged. We're pretty fresh. And uh, so it's like a 14 hour, 15 hour flight from Dallas to Dubai and another seven hours from Dubai to Lusaka. Lusaka, they're waiting for us to pick us up. Uh, we also 
Uh, we have uh, Baylor Law alums that make donations toward the program that pay for some things. Like one of the things we've done is uh, we've gotten uh, like a minibus transportation that's that I call it like our uh, our school bus service that in the morning at 8 30 it will pick us up uh, at the flats at the apartments and get us to the first place right and then our students learn pretty quickly how to negotiate their way around Lusaka whether it's in cabs or buses or in some of the uh, some of the Zambians that work for uh, up Zambia have cars so um, but 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 we get everybody a pickup at the apartment into the first place. Uh, the first place for some of the students is the courthouse. The first place for some of them is the Up Zambia office. The first place for some of them might be uh, uh, the prison. Um, they maintain desks in the prisons so that uh, uh, the kids and the kids are not supposed to be in adult prisons. But again, it's one of those laws that doesn't get respected or that it's too costly to. Uh, uh, to follow the law and so so yeah the the kids are kept in adult prisons and they try to segregate um, you know I'm not sure how effectively that works but um, and then the primary access to the clients is by having a desk in the prison that desk might be out in an open courtyard under a tent right on, on a dirt on the dirt ground and um, you know one thing culturally that's very different in Africa I've been in prisons in Uganda, I've been in prisons in uh, uh, Zambia now. One of the things that's very different is how safe the prisons feel. And it's not because they're all restrained or because there's some inordinate amount of guards. Um, but, you know, I mean, I'm walking around in the general population. I don't feel at all in danger. I've visited American prisons. I would not do that <laughs> in an American prison, right? So again, just you know, culturally, um, just different. It is a, um, I think, a more peaceful, less aggressive, less overtly violent uh, society. And the Zambian court systems, uh, it was a, a British colony at some point, correct? So yeah. they're... Th th that's what enables our students to be um, very effective help to up Zambia is, um, uh, yeah, they were British colony. Uh, when the Brits left, they left their justice system and the Zambians embraced that justice system and carried it forward. So it is, um, the system itself is familiar to our students. Um, and the laws are they use some different words here, there for this kind of crime, that type of crime, but the laws are not at all unfamiliar. Uh, the rights of suspects are not unfamiliar. Uh, again, having it written on paper and having it be actually respected are two different things. Um, so, um, so yeah, the basic structure of the system is uh, very, very, very similar and familiar. Uh, the cases are tried in English, okay? So English is the official court language. Uh, the documents are uh, mostly written in English. And, um, uh, you know, the, the, my best description of it is, uh, imagine if you had a car that had all the right parts, but you had a constant gas shortage and you had no oil. 
you know, those parts are going to, it's not going to work <laughs> as frequently as you need it to work. It's not going to work as smoothly as you need it to work. And the parts are going to wear out and stop working, right? So the structure's there, but uh, the, all the parts of the car are there, but it's lacking the fuel, the gas and oil. There aren't enough lawyers. There aren't enough well-trained uh, judges. Um, some of the judges dramatically lack uh, legal training. Um, sometimes it's a police officer that serves the role as prosecutor. Um, so, so there's just, uh, and, and, and uh, the, the motivation for Sarah starting up Zambia was because there aren't enough lawyers for these defendants, for these kids. And uh, there are lawyers that operate like public defenders. There just aren't enough of them and there's too much work for them. So the system is dysfunctional to non-functional, even though, again, it's got the right parts. Yeah. When, oh, sorry. Uh, when Sarah came to talk, she talked a little bit about the Zambian bar and that sounded like quite quite the process. Do you do you know anything more um, about it? Um, it seems to be very very difficult to pass. And I have known some uh, uh, Zambians for five years now that impress me as very bright, responsible, hardworking people. And they try again and again, and they can't. Uh, get past it. And um, there's something suspicious about the whole operation um, because uh, it's called Ziali. I, I forget what those Zambian something something law institute, right? It's called Ziali. And um, um, I think Sarah passed it on her first try or her first or second try. Um, but basically there's like 12 parts. It lasts almost a year. Again, you've already done your your university, right? And you've studied law at university. And I think it's more like the European model, where law is like an undergrad major than a than postgraduate, like here. I think that's the case. And um, but then you come out of law school and you've got to pass the bar, and that is a separate, uh, again, nearly one year course that has to be paid for. It's not inexpensive. Um, and they're like 12 subjects and all 12 subjects are graded separately and there's different individuals responsible for the grading. And so you will have, uh, this is a common story, that uh, somebody will pass 11 out of 12 subjects on their first try and then that 12th one, you know, the next time that's the only one you have to study for and you fail again. And then the next time, and there's something wrong there. I mean, if you're good enough to pass 11 out of 12 of the subjects on the first time, and now you can't even with one, and, and the suspicion is, is that some of the persons that are the independent graders that are in control, realize they're in control of who comes into the profession and that they're protecting, uh, the earning power of those already in the profession, right? The fewer the lawyers, I mean, the, the justice system is, is hosed, right? The people that need a lawyer are hosed, 
but the fewer the lawyers, the more the lawyers are in demand, right? And so, so that seems to be a problem, that there isn't like a central administration of this where it's administered by monitoring what's the need for lawyers in the community. And, uh, and rather it seems to be, there seem to be persons that maybe have an incentive uh, to um, control how many lawyers are in the market. And that uh, there always seems to be one or two of these graders. It, and and it's, it's not a different subject for everybody. It's usually, you know, I mean, Sarah said for like years it was uh, procedure or something. And then uh, now I think it's something different. For years it's, it's some other and it's the same, the same one. And, you know, so I know some of these folks that have failed again and again. They're 11 for 12 and they keep failing the last one. And, um, uh, and, and if you fail it like so many times in a row, you have to go back and start over again from scratch. And uh, uh, yeah, so I've known some people that work there that are really quality people that have had that happen to them. And it's just, it's gotta be just incredibly frustrating and, and, and heartbreaking. Yeah, I bet. Um, so for students that are interested in going out to Zambia, of course, this year of 2023, may not be feasible since the program's already kind of in place and the students going are in place, but um, what does sort of a day in the life look like for a student that's in Zambia? I may have one opening this year. Oh. Yeah. Well, there you go. You guys hear it here. Yeah, may have have (laughs) one opening. Um, Exclusive. Yeah. We we go uh, in two groups, right? Um, Up to six and up to six. And uh, uh, this year, I think right now we're at nine or ten. So we've got, we've got room for one more in the first session. But basically we grow, go in two groups of up to six, usually four to six. And the first group leaves uh, this year, I think on June the 3rd, it's a two day trip, arrives June the 5th, stay to July the 5th, two day trip back home, home July the 9th. The second group goes in late June, all right? So we create uh, about eight days of overlap between group one and group two. And the reason for the intentional overlap is so the, uh, uh, the group one folks that kind of know the ropes over there can help train and help uh, uh, smooth, I guess, the entry uh, for the, the group two folks. Also, during that overlap is when we take our big you know, field trip. So we have a four-day trip. Um, and instead of taking two four-day trips, we take one four-day trip, but both group one and group two are there at the same time then over this seven or eight day overlap. And so we take this four day trip out to uh, Victoria Falls and uh, there are two reform schools on the way and then a prison in uh, Victoria Falls. And so we stop at these reform schools that that house some of the uh, clients, some of the former clients of, uh, uh, you know, one of the things that can happen to a client in the juvenile justice systems, they get uh, sentenced to a year of reform school. You know, that's preferable to spending time in prison, right? And that's preferable to sitting in an adult prison waiting for years for your day in court, which is another problem. But basically, uh, yeah, one of the possible consequences is a year in one of these reform schools or reform camps. So we stop at those places and we sort of bring the party with us, right? So we'll uh, play soccer with them, play basketball with them, will bring a bunch of food that's a bit higher quality of food uh, than what they get in the, uh, in the, at those schools. And uh, uh, we'll bring hoodies 
and hand out hoodies and stuff like that. But so, so basically it's, you know, an afternoon or a morning as the case may be sort of engaging with these kids and, you know, bringing them uh, some stuff, uh, blankets, underwear, uh, mattresses sometimes, because uh, they often sleep right on the ground or on the cement floor of a building where, you know, it's 30 of them in a room this size, right? Just sleeping on the ground, where if one of them rolls over the other one, you know, like spoons, if one of them rolls over, the other one has to roll over. I mean, just really, um, you know, not great conditions. So, so we try to, uh, you know, bring some stuff to, uh, for them and, uh, um, and, 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 but there's also been a tourist aspect of that trip out there where um, we see Victoria Falls, we uh, go across the border to uh, uh, Botswana to one of the best game parks on the planet, the highest concentration of uh, elephants on the planet. And uh, um, so that's a lot of fun. And uh, um, that trip out there has been, I can't make any representations yet for this summer, but uh, that trip has been, the last two times we've done this, largely paid for by Baylor Law alums. So both the place we stay for um, three nights uh, in Victoria Falls, uh, you know, we usually have some nice meals out there, uh, mostly paid for, um, the visit to the game park um, has been paid for, um, so yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great trip and, uh, and mostly, most of the expenses have been of that have been in the past and hopefully this summer will be again, we'll see, uh, uh, covered by Baylor law alums. Always very thankful for the, uh, Baylor law alumni. Uh -huh. Um, well, as we're kind of wrapping up on time here for anybody that's on the fence of whether they want to do this or not, um, what sort of advice would you give, um, as parting advice for listeners? You know, I, I mean, I think uh, I think life should be somewhat adventurous, and I think uh, the more experiences, the greater variety of experiences you have, um, the greater variety in, in life. I don't know. I, I just uh, find that uh, to enrich uh, life, and uh, I've always felt that traveling is part of uh, a great education, even just even if there's no particular educational component of it. Well, obviously there is for this, but um, so, so uh, yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's an adventure. And uh, uh, we've had students that go there and uh, they're going with students from different quarters and people they don't know and they come back, you know, best friends, lifetime friends, because again, it is a unique experience. Uh, the apartments, we stay in there, it's 24 uh, seven. Uh, security. Uh, it's a it's a it's a compound in a very nice uh, residential neighborhood uh, um, near restaurants and malls. I mean, it's it's a fun part of town, and uh, uh, where where we're living in. Uh, and then you know, slowly but surely, the students get to know uh, Lusaka, and, and then the trip out to Victoria Falls uh, too. I think is uh, you know, Victoria Falls is considered one of the seven, you know, wonders. geological uh, 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 wonders of the world. So, um, 
Very cool. And for somebody that does want to fill that last spot, should they be contacting you, or is there somebody else that they should reach out uh, to? Yeah, I, um, uh, we had we had uh, one person that went last year did did not get in in the original round of application, and then and again, I think one of the persons going said, uh, "Hey, uh, there's room," or said, "Hey, I'm looking for a roommate or something like that," and talked uh, one of her friends into going, and. Uh, um, uh, yeah, it, 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 somebody would need to join pretty quickly, but but it, it looks like we've got uh, the second session is full, mm-hmm. right? The second session is full, uh, but there's still um, room. Uh, I think uh, it'd probably even be helpful in terms of because again, it cuts costs to have we stay in two bedroom apartments, right? So separate bedrooms, shared common area. Um, and I can't remember now about the uh, the bathroom. I think the I think the bathroom is shared also. But uh, but in any event, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty confident we've got uh, uh, we're going to have at least one person in the first session that's maybe looking for a, a roommate. But uh, but again, we've got right now we've got three and six going. So you know we got room in the first session. Well, that's great. Um, thank you for joining us today. And um, I appreciate your time. And this has been another episode of the Baylor Law Criminal Law Society podcast. Thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time.